This episode of the pod's proudly brought to you by J Beck Mechanical Repairs. With the ever-rising cost of living, we're all looking for ways to save a few bucks so you can spend it in the areas that you love. One area JBEC can help you is with the rising cost of fuel prices, why not remap your vehicle to gain more power and better fuel economy through their chip tuning service? Chip tuning can be done on many vehicles, including various trucks and tractors, and conditions apply. With over 30 years combined experience in small engine cars and diesel engines, Jade and his team are qualified in both diesel and petrol vehicles. They offer a mobile field service unit, including breakdown services, all mechanical repairs, engine rebuilds, as well as aircon and auto electrical services. To find out more, just find JBEC Mechanical Repairs on Facebook, email jbecinvestments at gmail.com or call or text 0492 594 058. Tell them Brendan sent you for a free cuddle and trust me that's better than a handshake because Jade's fingers will crush you. JBEC Mechanical Repairs, offering chip tuning. Unleash the power within. On this week's episode of The Pod, the legend himself, Paul Dixon. Uh, a lot of people will know Dicko uh, through his sporting career on the northwest coast, mainly through cricket, um, where he had a, uh, a very successful career and uh, and eventually became uh, a great leader and captain of the Latrobe Cricket Club. But um, he kept coming up through uh, other podcasts, so I thought it's only fair to, to get him on. I was really keen to get him on for a chat. It took a little bit of work. Um, he wasn't that keen to come on and, and have a chat, so I sort of had to keep on to him for a little while. But I really just wanted to pick his brain on, on what makes him tick um, because he was spoken about in such glowing terms by uh, some of our other guests, you know, in terms of being a leader and just an all-round good guy. So I was just really interested in, uh, in his theories on leadership and also uh, just about life itself so he's been through a few challenges we talk obviously about his sporting career we go back to the start um, talking about uh, growing up in Latrobe um, talks a lot about his dad the impact that um, that he's had on him um, anyone who knows his dad wouldn't be surprised he's had an impact on a lot of people um, on the northwest coast um, yeah challenges that he's had along the journey as well um, in his leadership but then also uh, in life itself he's been through a few uh, tough times emotionally um, behind the scenes as well um, yeah and talks about how he dealt with that which at the time was wasn't great but what he's learnt along the journey um, and he also talks about um, how low it actually got so just a word of advice it does talk about uh, mental health this one and suicide um, so anyone that's um, that's having their own struggles or anyone that's triggered by anything in this chat listen to the message at the end of it because we give you some numbers of people that you can have a chat to which can provide some great assistance for anyone who um, who needs a little bit of help in that area so um, yeah I was really looking forward to getting him in as I say I think I was more excited than Dicko but um, yeah he definitely didn't let me down it was fantastic so hope you guys enjoy g'day everybody welcome back to the talk hard podcast i'm jake i'm briley i'm sonny we hope you enjoy today's episode i get a phone call basically saying dad's not it this sit down lawnmower is like about three meters long time I was finished with it was about half a metre. A fully grown man sleeping with the light on. Shit scared. He's come out my car with an angle grinder before. Just yeah it's just such an important thing for so many people. And I thought holy shit I'm gonna get delisted next tomorrow. Like that's kind of put a line through me. So that's why checking in on your mate or your son or your daughter or your player or your coach or whoever it is you become the side. I just let him know that you know it's tough but we're tougher and he just wrapped those big arms he got around me just said mate like we'll work through this together like oh, I absolutely love you. The Talk Hard Podcast with Brendan Hinksley. Paul Dixon welcome to the Talk Hard Podcast. Thanks mate it's great to be here. No worries at all mate and uh, I was um, just saying to you before we've um, we've learned a very valuable lesson in communication and preparation because um, when Dicko and I were communicating where he needed to come to for the podcast um I told him James Street, but I didn't clarify whether or not it was Devonport or Latrobe. So 
Dicko lives in Devonport now. He's a Latrobe <laughs> boy, but um, he saw plenty of Latrobe today looking for my house in Latrobe. He did, yeah. He did. <laughs> yeah, easily confused, mate. Yeah. People who know me won't be surprised that I've made that mistake. <laughs> we got there eventually, though, didn't We're we? We're here. Yeah, absolutely. But the one good thing is it gave me a little bit of time to open this room up and cool it down because it's absolutely fucking scorching in here at the moment. But if you can um, if you can hear the birds outside, we're not sitting out at a park bench. We are still in the talk hard studio, but unusually we've got the door open because otherwise we're going to lose about five kilos, I reckon, sitting here having a yak. It is fairly warm, mate, yes. Bloody oath. <laughs> so how's your day been, mate? How's your weekend been? Yeah, pretty good, mate. Yep. Yeah, as we were just having a chat before, we had a work dinner last night, so that went went off uh, pretty well. So, yep. Yeah, nice little night with the boys and a few quiet beers. So, yep. yeah, haven't done heaps today, but yeah, it's been good. Mate. Excellent. Yep. Yeah. And how's dad life going, mate? You got a little one now? <laughs> I do, yes. Yep. Yeah. So, obviously, yeah, my life's changed, mate. Yeah, changed for the better. It's been absolutely fantastic. He's, uh, he's a handful, but undoubtedly the best thing that's happened to me. For sure. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that, mate. Like, one of the main reasons that I, that I wanted to get you on, and I know um, it's quite funny to have you sitting here. I'm I'm more excited than you are to have you sitting here, I'm sure of that, because I've been on to you for a, quite a while. <laughs> you have, mate, yes. I have, because um, I know that you were quite reluctant to come on because you're a pretty modest person, but you kept coming up in all these other podcasts, so I thought, well, it's only fitting that I give you a right of reply. <laughs> yeah, that's probably fair. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, um, that we want to go into, um, you know, around leadership and life and that sort of thing but you've had a bit of a journey yourself as well so we're going to work our way through that as well as everyone knows we we're about stories here and and we'll go back to the start so i'll get you to tell the story mate okay mate so back to 1980 1980 yeah yep. born here in devonport beautiful um, old hospital it's not the there old anymore. hospital mate yes i'm led to believe mum and dad thought they couldn't have any more kids so there's what 14 years between me and janine yep so i say miracle they say mistake <laughs> <laughs> out of the blue yeah surprise I, yeah, yeah i turned up and yeah i bet they could probably wish they could have that decision back. <laughs> <laughs> they might have, might have a few more dollars in the bank if they didn't uh end up with me but anyway that's yeah yeah yep. so yeah that's where she all began yeah what was the go with the latrobe hospital then i don't know they mustn't have been popping babies out. no everyone seemed to get hatched over here didn't they yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, maybe they knew what was in store for them. They didn't want, <laughs> maybe. The, didn't want the legal case down the track. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so what was childhood like, mate? You grew up in Latrobe then? Yeah, so we grew up um, just kind of on the outskirts of Latrobe there, just headed towards Wesley Vale, kind of near where Geneva School is. Yep. Um, little bit of property there, which is now owned by uh, Brett Jaffray, actually. Yep. Yeah, so look, yeah, it was fantastic. Like I said, there was a, a fair bit of difference between me and Janine, so it was kind of like I was an only child. A little bit, um, obviously with older parents. Dad was pretty busy at work uh, at that stage, like he was out at uh, Wesley Vale Pulp Mill. So he was going great guns there. And yeah, like just happy, mate. Happy to amuse myself and chip around. And yep. as we got a little bit older, obviously, yeah, the boys that lived in Vincent Crescent, you know, Chus and the Muir boys, we kind of started knocking about and we were still knocking about. So that's, yeah. that's pretty cool too. So Yeah, the best friendships, yeah. aren't they? The ones that stand the test of time like that. Absolutely, yeah. It's yeah. like it's crazy to think we've been friends for that long. Yep. Yeah. What did you get up to? Uh, Plenty, I'm sure. Yeah. Like I said, we had uh, 12 acres there. Well, actually 12 either side. So yeah, 20 acres. So we plenty of bush, plenty of plenty of uh, little adventures. We'd just disappear for the day and go up the bush or, you know, at some point, you know, we made cricket grounds. We had nine half golf course. As I got a bit older, we had an old Kingswood that we used to paddock bash around. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of changed as we got a little bit older, but yeah, certainly. And I, 
thinking about having this discussion with you today. I'm going to sound like an old man. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I really yep. thought. This podcast think, oh, will date you, mate. Yeah, you're yeah. going to look back and think, geez, I am getting old now. Yeah, every, like, the answers that I want to give, and it, it's this one right now, I just sound so old. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm glad that we did that as kids compared to, you know, what kids are doing now. Yep. Yeah, we were pretty adventurous. We sort of learned to, to do stuff, whereas, you know, you see kids now probably not doing that. Mm. Yeah. Back in our day, you know, it was a pretty bit, bit more hectic, some of the stuff we'd get up to. Yeah. <laughs> do yourself a bit of damage if you didn't have your wits about you. But we got through it. Yeah. yeah. And that's the, that's part of the growing up, isn't it? Part it of is, the adventure. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what about sports, mate? Like, at what point did you start to... Obviously, sports has played such a big part in your life. When did you start, you know, picking up the cricket bat and the basketball and the footy and that sort of thing? Do you remember? Yeah, pretty well straight away. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess Dad was... Like I said, I didn't really see him. You know, he'd finished his sport well and truly by the time, you know, I came along. Yep. But, you know, there was always sports on. He's pretty sports mad. And, I, you know, from talking to people, Dad was pretty handy at, at everything that he did. So I'd probably think that any ability I got, I probably got from him. Yep. Um, you know, it's just, it's what we did, isn't it? Like, yep. you played cricket in the summer and footy in the footy winter. In the winter. And, yeah. Yep. You know, obviously, my association with the Muir boys and, you know, Rose and Greg, I played a lot of basketball when I was playing, you know, in a town full of trade. I just, yeah, at school, you know, the class that we're in, we were all just sort of in a sport. Yeah. And I, like, it's pretty stock standard, you know, growing up. You know, we lived in La Trobe, we played footy for La Trobe, cricket for La Trobe, yep. basketball for La Trobe. And that's, yeah, that's all it was. But yeah, yeah especially cricket, like, uh, it's probably the same with footy too. Just, yeah, I was always had a bat and ball in my hand. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What age did you sort of start to show a bit of ability, I suppose, or, you know, feel that the, the game sort of come naturally to you? I don't know if the game ever really come naturally to okay. me. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I really don't think that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, so Dad started the junior cricket. Dad and a guy called Peter Scott. Yep. Must have been when I was about 10. And, you know, I think you had to retire after, God, 20 balls or whatever. And Yep. I did that most weeks. I didn't score heaps of runs. But yep. Yeah. I don't know. So I think I was going all right. But it probably took, you know, I reckon I was 22 or 23 before I actually felt that I was okay. Yep. And it, yeah. You know, I was, pro- I was still playing third grade cricket when I was... You know, seventeen. Yep. I wasn't a fifteen-year-old that was playing A grade, and you I weren't a prodigy. No. Yeah. No, I wasn't. I like I was in underage squads and all that sort of stuff, but always on the just on the cusp of that too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So I, I wasn't really sure. I just loved it. Like I kind of battled everything in, in a way, yep. but w- was keen to stick it out. And obviously, like obviously, I had natural ability, but yeah, I, it wasn't really obvious to me yep but I just yeah I wanted to play yep and especially with cricket like I think I probably ended up just yeah creating what I became just yep. by wanting to play it all the time yep so it was more a determination thing than an actual I just loved it thing, like a, I, yeah I'm a massive cricket nuffy still I, I could talk about it and I just loved it and I listened and I analysed and I just wanted I wanted to play for the tribe so badly yep and that's kind of all I wanted yep so I, yeah in a way I, I willed myself there I think, as far as cricket goes, anyway. Yep. Probably a little bit the opposite with football. Yep. Probably had more ability with football, but just wasn't interested. <laughs> it's funny you say that. You said that you feel like you wasted your football ability a little bit. Did you? Do you wish that you had have gone a little bit further in it? Oh, yeah. I, I kind of, I kind of just chucked that away. I, I'm a massive sook. I, I'm a huge <laughs> sook. I, I yeah. I, 
In and what I, way? Like hate to lose or? Oh, no, I hate to lose, but when things don't go my way, like I'm really internally, I, I suck about it. People probably don't see it. People who are close to me know it yep. and have to live with it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But I just think, yeah, I had a couple of things not go my way football wise and I sucked about it. And yeah, I do regret. Well, I regret. I don't don't know if I really regret anything, but it's funny. Dad was on King Island before he came to uh, mainland Tassie. Yeah, I was going to talk to you about that because that's something I saw on your Facebook. You must yeah, have gone back there. We went him. back. Yeah. Um, Dad hadn't been back since oh, 1958, I think. Yep. Or yeah, maybe early 60s. Yep. And I was going over there over the previous few years for work, and I said to him, you know, I want to take you back. I want you to show me the house. Anyway, we did that um, this year. And we had a good talk about footy and I, you know, he kind of said, you know, he was disappointed that, not that he said he was disappointed, but yeah, said, you know, you probably could have done more with footy and why didn't you? Yep. And yeah, I just kind of, I don't know, I had to answer, like I, I kind of copped, copped out in a way and said, oh, I chose cricket, you know, I wanted to be committed to cricket, but maybe if I'm truthful now, I was just, I wasn't prepared to work hard enough for football. Right, Righto. Yep. A lot of people who I thought, you know, I had more ability than, like, and I've sat back and given it the old, oh, I can't believe he's playing. I, I was better than him. <laughs> yeah, they, I was sitting in the corner of the pub, chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. They worked harder. Yeah. You know, and that Latrobe, I was so jealous of that huge, successful Latrobe time. Yeah. Because I played with God, and I thought that could have been me, and I probably could have been a part of that. Yeah. But I I bottled it. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to do the work that those blokes did. Yeah. And that's when you sit back now I can say that yeah so yeah. You, you say the work you mean like the fitness type stuff uh, or the everything. skill type stuff just being prepared to yeah, I was tired a bit lazy yeah and like I said as soon as it didn't go my way you know I'd play reserves and play really well but I never really took that step into seniors yeah so I was always on that edge and I just I struggled with that and like I said I probably took the the, the weak option at times and just yeah well, I ended up playing footy in the country and end up you know not playing footy I probably could have achieved more yeah but you know having said that i don't know how many senior games to play for the trove 30 or 40 and had some good experiences in that yeah and super happy for them blokes to be successful as they were like i still love the trove mm. and always have we never really got to that point at the career club and i was really envious and jealous of that i guess is another truthful thing yeah i wanted that um sustained success that they got yeah whereas you know we never quite did yep. we climbed the mountain but we didn't you, stay there for very long you did have a little bit of success which we'll, which we'll obviously talk about as well but you were saying there before how you sort of you know willed yourself into into your cricket and that sort of thing so looking at it like you said with footy you weren't prepared to do the work but I know cricket's a completely different game but obviously there is work that you've got to put in for cricket as well so do you think that you must have loved cricket a little bit more because you were prepared to do what I, it took to get to the I think I was obsessed with it yep. like I was just totally obsessed with and what I loved more about anything in cricket was training. Yep. I lo- I just wanted to be around cricket. Yep. I wanted to bowl and bowl and bowl and bowl and bowl. Yep. And I did for, you know, 25 years. Yep. Yeah. And I, yeah, everything that I've said about footy, I, I, I just loved cricket. Yep. I do love cricket. Yep. yep. And yeah. And that's I obvious. think I just ended up there. <laughs> so I'm loving it and continually playing it. Yep. And sometimes the universe is a funny place, isn't it, mate? Like you'll end up where you're meant to be regardless, yeah. won't you? Yep. And you talked about your dad there before, and obviously a lot of what we're going to talk about is your leadership and your life and things like that. You've obviously got a fantastic relationship with your dad. Can you just talk about growing up, you know, the 
the pl- part that he played in your in your life? Yeah, it's it's strange. Um, when you're 15 to maybe 20ish, maybe I wasn't the hugest fan of my dad, which is crazy now for me to think. Yep. Well, I just think we all go through that. You know, you're a bit angst against the world, aren't you? Yep. Um, Too cool for parents. Yeah, and with you know, with them being older, like I said, I, I missed out on that. You know, I look at Shamo and you know, my sister's husband, and you know, he played footy and cricket with his kids. He got to do that. I never got to do that with dad. Yeah, I was six. He was well and truly past that by the time you know I was at that point. But having said that, you know, he started a bloody cricket competition. He started an entire competition just so mm. that I had somewhere to play. Yep, that's and I, <laughs> I think I'm sure that he only really. Got us involved in that. I know and it benefited so many people, but I think that was for me in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, I, I've grown up, and another, th- you know, I was always referred to as Bob Dixon's son. Oh, here he is, Bob Dixon's son. And, and it was introduced to anyone, you know, I started work out the pulp and that here, Bob Dixon's son. And I fucking hated that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was Paul Dixon. Yeah. Now, you know, I wear that badge with enormous pride. You know, I'm proud to be Bob Dixon's son. Yeah. I understand, like, you know, people spoke so highly of my dad, you know, everywhere. He is actually like that. Mm. That's how it is. And the greatest privilege that we've got, you know, we're his kids. He's absolutely fantastic. He's, you know, the most fantastic human being I've ever met. And and talking about leadership, yeah, dad's principles, he's taught us all that. You know, he's led by doing and being, not necessarily, you know, not saying, not enforcing yeah, if Dad ever come on to us, like the biggest thing, and I, I you know, we talked to Janine and Shamo, you know, the, the beginning of their marriage, he was always in trouble with Dad, and he said, you know, the, the thing that we were scared of the most, and I back this up, we were just scared of disappointing Dad. Yeah, right. Eh? I just didn't want to disappoint him. Yep, that's a sign. He of wasn't going to belt me. for someone. Yeah, and, and he never did, but I just didn't. I didn't want to let him down. Yep. Needless to say, I did a million times. Yeah. But yeah, that was my greatest fear, and I, I yeah. He's been fantastic. Yep. For you know the entire family, and yeah, he's he's brilliant. Yeah. I'm very proud to, you know, be his son, and yeah. It's um it's an interesting thing when um when I'm doing research for these podcasts as well. I've, sometimes I just I just think back because obviously we're around the same age and we sort of you know came up through Latrobe about the same time and stuff. And I think it, I, I the first time I ever had anything to do with your dad was I played in that same cricket competition as well. You probably wouldn't remember me because I was no good. My my um my highlight of my cricketing career was that like you say twenty ball rule or twenty run yeah. rule or whatever is burned not out. Like yep. for me, I might as well raise me bat when I walked off the field. Like because yep. I think I got bowled every time or caught because I was completely useless at cricket. But I remember I think I one day I just set myself. I thought oh, I'm not getting out today. Yeah, right. And when they said right, that's it for you, mate. Off you go and whatever. Like like I say, that's I, I could have been walking it. back to the pavilion at Lords, like I just yeah I thought that was just it <laughs> I might not have played after that I might have gone out on a high but um, we all did play that comp though yeah everyone, yep. everyone played in it they all came everyone through it age, yeah. but um, one thing I was going to say was that um, so your dad was obviously always there watching us and, and that sort of stuff one story that I wanted to tell you that, that came back to mind um, Mermy Brothers I remember were playing cricket in the backyard and again we would have only been we wouldn't have been 12 years old, I don't reckon. We would have been quite young. And I remember your dad came round, and he's, he'd come round to see my parents for something. I've got no idea what. And he must have asked them something, and they'd just gone into the house to grab something, whatever. And while he was out in the backyard, I remember he's picked up the cricket ball, and he said, I reckon I can bowl you out, Brendan. <laughs> and for, for a start, because, again, our era when we grew up was probably... Um, 
kids were sort of seen and not heard sort of thing. So it was quite rare for an adult outside of your own family, one, to know your name, and two, to take an interest in you. Yeah. And I've, I've never forgotten that. Like, and I remember, I, I don't know whether he was a leggy bowler or what he was. He did but, bowl leggies, yes. Yeah, but he rolled the arm it's over. Really big toppies, actually. Same, yeah. Same as me. <laughs> I can't remember whether or not he bowled me or not, but he rolled the arm over a few times, and I was just thinking, how great's this? Because, yeah. like I said, just to be acknowledged and recognised by an adult, um, it was sort of ahead of his time in a way, because now that's what we sort of try to do with our kids is give them more of a voice and yeah. and make them feel valued. But like I say, going back to that time, like your parents obviously cared about you and your uncles and that sort of thing. But just to have someone from the community, one, know your name and two, to take an interest in you. I just remember I just got the biggest buzz out of that. Yeah, cool. But now, you know, hearing you talk about him and some of the other stuff that I've heard about him, like, yeah, he's a pretty special sort of dude. Yeah. You know, one thing about him, he coached our basketball we had a pretty good local basketball roster too. Yep. And there was a lot of... Well, it still exists in basketball. Um, basketball's a game where the better kids seem to gravitate to each other. Yep. And can dominate the game. And there's a lot of kids that miss out. Yep. And as a young bloke, I wasn't very confident and I probably was that kid that missed out. So with his coaching, he had an exercise book and he used to actually sit down and work out when you're going to be subbed on, when you're going to be subbed off. Yep. And he'd have it written down and he would work through that during the game. And it didn't matter what the game, we lost that many games because he'd take off the better players because he had it written down. It was their turn to come off. Yep. So that every kid got the exact same court time. Yep. Every kid got the same. And I, I hated him for that. Like we'd lose games and I'd be like, Dad, what you do you want to win? like, nah, that's this is how we're doing it. Yep. Everyone's paying the same amount of money and everyone's getting the same amount of court time. Doesn't matter how good you are. I'm not interested in that. Yeah, and I look back at that now and think, God, like, and parents were into him for that. Like, what's he, what's he doing? No, mm. parents have wanted to win, but no, that's that sums up, Dad. He actually gave me out once. <laughs> this is this is a real good story. Yeah. I was real filthy about this. I was playing third grade, and he was umpiring third grade. Um, no bias then. He gave me out, like, and it was clearly going over the top of the stumps, but he gave me out, and I I was fuming. And we were having tea that night, and I, we hadn't spoken about it. And I remember looking up and just saying, <laughs> that wasn't out. And he looked at me and he said, no, it wasn't. He said, but I didn't want to give you not out because you're my son. Yeah. I didn't want people to think. And I said, fuck me, Dad. Really? <laughs> you're never umpiring me again. No, he never did. Yeah. He said, I won't umpire you ever again. Yep. And I said, okay. Yep. Yeah. But it, God, like, yeah. It is a funny thing, though, with, with dads being involved in their kids' sports, particularly, you know, the kids that have got a bit, of a bit of ability. I always feel sorry for the coach of the cricket team or the footy team whose son's the best player or daughter's the best player, obviously, today because they play as well, because they seem to be harder on them and, you know, the kid might not win the best and fairest or something like that when they probably rightfully deserve it, but yeah. the dad doesn't want to be seen to be favouring them. So it yeah, is a tricky hard. little balancing act, isn't it? Oh, I'm curious to see how I'll be. Yeah. Yep. I know that I'll be more Bob Dixon-ish than other parents, but yeah, it's it's going to be tough. <laughs> and we shouldn't judge that. Like it's, I've yeah, I had a bit of time working for the TCA, maybe in my early thirties, coaching some some groups, you know, on the northwest coast, and some carnivals. And yeah, I went through the stuff with parents too, and and it is tough. Yeah, you know, you see both sides and both types of parents. And it's only now, you know, that I've I've had to deal with some stuff myself that you start to, you know, not necessarily judge how mm-hmm. they are and realise, yeah, yeah, decisions can be hard to make, and ultimately, you know, you just love your kids, don't yeah. you? And that's 
you know, you want to see him succeed. Yeah, that's right. And that passion comes out, doesn't it? Yeah. But Bob Dixon had no hesitation to give me out. <laughs> so just coming back to your cricket, mate. So you said you started playing A grade in 98. Yeah. Yep. So how old were you then? Yeah, 18, 17. Yep. 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 So how daunting was that at the time? Uh, it happened in a hurry. Yep. Um, yeah, so we we played a lot. So we played two-day cricket in third grade back then. So I'd spent... I don't know, I said to you in that thing, I was 12 when I started playing third grade. And that was third grade, second grade, you know, up and down each week for a long time. Um, I never really bowled very well and never really bowled consistently. Like, yep. Were you always a bowler from juniors? No, like, did that never. tell you focused on? Okay. No, yep. not until probably around 17. Yep. Yeah, I found myself playing a bit of second grade and, and Gary Spillane was the coach of that second grade side and he was a leg spinner himself and he just he showed so much faith in me he saw something yep and he just bowled you said you're going to bowl that's it you're you're going to bowl you're bowling 20 overs here or whatever yep and I yeah there's a game at Burnie and I, I think I might have taken 4 for 40 off maybe 30 overs in, in the twos and I got maybe a few runs 30 odd not out and yeah Grant Astor was coaching um, A grade at the time and there'd been a bit of an exodus uh a couple of guys had left the A-grade side. I'm not quite sure what happened, but there was something going on. And Yeah, there was just an opportunity. I think we were bottom of the ladder at Christmas time, and Grant just said, well, I'm just going to take a handful of kids and I'm going to play them. Yep. And this is how it's going to be. And, yeah, that, that's where I started. Yep. And, yeah, I, I got dropped once, I think, in, you know, maybe a couple, nearly a couple of hundred games. Yep. Yeah, so that was it. I went into that side with Grant, and we were... A few of us went in at the same time, young blokes, and we yep. kind of, yeah, forged something together, and yeah, yeah. So obviously, the, the the pinnacle of that is, um, you know, the premiership that you guys won, which we'll talk about in a second. Just jumping ahead, but but were most a lot of those guys that those young blokes that went in with you were they still part of the team at that stage? Did you sort of stick it through? Yeah. Together? So there was a, you know, Grant and maybe Nathan Skirving. Although you think of them as older blokes, but we probably weren't. They probably weren't that old. Uh so I'm talking about me, you know, Wes Richardson came up for we debuted together. Yep. Wes was only fifteen, I think. Yep. And I think he made sixty on debut. We we played Alveston and Alveston and they, they touched us up. Gary Crawford got hundred and eighty. Yep. It was a real baptism of how good A grade cricket was. Yep. This is a standard. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, but that's you know, we had a couple of good good games through the season. Yeah, it was good for us looking back. So Simsy, myself, uh Stickman would have been around then and yeah Wes um, then maybe in the next couple of years young Cameron Viney Brad Green Scum of course was starting to show up yep. then yep yeah so I guess we forged maybe the basis of the next 10 years yep on and off that's yeah whether something we can talk about when we talk about you know the premiership a lot of those guys seem to come and go and that's something that I really struggled with. You know, guys that have a year off to concentrate on footy or I really, really struggled with that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I felt like I was basing my plans at times around them and then they disappear or I'd be like, oh, why can't you choose cricket? Yeah. Because <laughs> yep. yep. I had. But yeah, so yeah, over the, the 10 years, yeah, a lot of those blokes, you know, did form the core of our club for sure.
In the world today, mental health is an issue which thankfully more and more people are becoming aware of and comfortable speaking about. When choosing a professional to help you, what kind of service would you be looking for? At Lonvara, when asked to describe Mel Purcell's service, clients described it as real, compassionate, empowering, friendly, welcoming, inner strength building, a positive, safe, supportive environment, and she was described by one source as an absolute legend who enables change with love. Mel offers clinical counselling, hypnotherapy and a professional service which is tailored to the individual. She has a personal approach and makes sure each client's experience is authentic to their needs while also ensuring full confidentiality. Winner of the 2022 Australian Allied Health Awards for Rural and Remote Excellence, you can self-refer or through your GP mental health care plan. Lonvara, believing in you. And so you were made captain um, at 23. Um, in 2003 so but was it like a, a progression up to that or like because that's obviously pretty quick for somebody or, and pretty young for somebody in the in the side is it something that you were sort of groomed for or that you saw that was going to be on the horizon or was it a goal of yours or um i, I definitely was a goal yep a couple couple of reasons i guess like i, I just i loved the trade club so much yep i only have i just you know when i was a little kid in the backyard and you know, I was pretending to play. I wasn't playing for Australia. I was playing for Latrobe. Right. I okay. just, I just desperately want to play a great for Latrobe. It's all I ever wanted to do. Yep. Um, so I, I loved the club, and I guess you know that shone through. As far as you know, being a leader of the club, and even at a young age, like I feel like I was pretty selfless as far as what I was willing to give for the club. Like I just do anything. Yep. Do like I worship Grant. Um, you know, before that, having lived through, you know, I mentioned Harry in, in the spiel, you know, Grant Harris, who's probably my, you know, biggest influence as far as as what it meant to play and, and what it meant to some people that club did. Yep. So I think I took on his legacy as far as, you know, being really proud of Latrobe and wanting to be a leader of Latrobe, not necessarily wanting to be captain, but of course I did want to be. Yep. And the other side of that was I was a huge student or nuffy of the game. Like, I just loved cricket. Yeah. So, you know, I was willing to do the research. I wanted to, to be the best that I could be. Yeah. You know, I was interested in captaincy. I liked listening to and watching and, you know, having discussions with people about captaincy and, and, and what it was about. Because, I, I, you know, I just deeply loved cricket. Yeah. And the, the, the little things that happen in a game of cricket and a day of cricket and yep. yeah like test cricket now like I sit there and watch it yep. forever yep. just on the basis of you know how what's happening what can mm. happen yep the ins and outs of it yeah yeah. so I think yeah I don't know it's just destined and like I said we were young so even though we were young I was probably the oldest of the young head wise anyway and mental yeah yep and so, you, you say that you've always had an interest in in captaincy. What why is that? Like what what was it about captaincy and leadership that's always interested you? I like I like the idea of being able to shape the game. Like without getting real deep. Like you think you can about get deep, mate. This think is a place about, for it. Yeah, <laughs> Bill Laurie might have said it's a game of inches. Yep. I remember reading that. Like, and you think about it, such in Tendulkar. I'm showing my age. Tendulkar comes out to bat. He plays and misses. If he nicks that, he's out. Like, we're talking millimetres, not inches. We're just talking a feather. If he nicks that and he's out for none, Australia win the test in three days. Yep. If he misses it, he gets 400. 
five days of cricket, five whole days of cricket can revolve around that one little instance. And that happens, God, a thousand times a day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I'm real into that. Like, I think that's what's great about cricket. Yeah. It teaches you to hang in. You know, if you if you weaken the mind, you're going to get exposed. It can be a shit game, but yeah, I kind of loved it. Yeah. At its shittest. Yeah. When it was hard, I kind of really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was more like that leadership, that that captaincy side of it. That, like you say, it's a game of millimeters, a game of inches, and that. But you sort of felt like you had more, um, more influence over those inches and what was, was going like, to happen. The interest I had in it, I was thinking them thoughts anyway. Yep. I was thinking, God, I'd be bowling Brendan or. I'd, I'd put a fielder here or I was just so consumed by it that when I got the opportunity to do it like I was probably ahead of the game because I was already thinking yep. like that yep. whereas some blokes you know Dion Parsons most A grade wickets for Latrobe I'd I'd go up to him and say you know what do you want and he'd just go I don't know you're the captain Yep. I'll just bowl it tell me what you want to do yep. like he just obviously just turned up played went yep. home yeah whereas I was more I don't know I was wired differently I actually was really interested Yep. in the mental side of things yep. and I think you know that obviously lends itself to captaincy yep. obviously Byrne such a young captain did you have like a young group or did you have like old blokes there and the, the next part of the question was what what were the challenges in your initial part of being a captain so the first year we were a young group and it all went pretty well um, like I said I was very uh, prepared as a captain like I'd sit down on a Friday night and actually work out and write down plans, you know, who I'm going to bowl to, to what batter the next day, depending upon who we were playing. And we were a young group and we, you know, I was, we all got on pretty well off the field. So it was, you know, pretty well a fun time that first year. Um, then, you know, that next year, we had a situation where I must have went to England the first time. Yep. So we made the semi-final. That first year we made the semi-final with the young group. Uh, we were beaten by Wynyard, I think, who ended up winning the flag. They are pretty good side. I think Bakesy whacked us everywhere from memory at Devonport yep. Oval. Yep. Um, you won't get a big head listening to No, this. I just thought I'd better give him a, a plug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he hit one of the biggest sixes I've ever seen that day, actually. Yep. Off Scammer. Yep. I just might as well keep going and make it worth him listening. <laughs> worth his while. Yeah. <laughs> So that was going okay. I went to England. Um, that was fantastic. I decided to stay a little bit later. So I was going to miss maybe the first two games. And This is your second year of yeah, being captain. Yeah, this is the second yep. year of being captain. In yep. that time, um, Grant came back, Astle, who'd obviously been my captain and coach. Uh, five or six guys. We got an overseas player called Richard uh, King, who came from... Northamptonshire, I think. So he was, you know, a pretty quality player. He yep. turned up. Uh, Jason Maddox came back. Uh, David Chewan, who had obviously had premiership success with Lonnie. He wanted to have a year with Jarve. So we ended up with this absolutely fantastic side. Came back with a situation. Um, while I was away, there was a little bit of... People weren't really sure whether they wanted me to be captain. I don't really know what happened because obviously I was on the other side of the You're world. Yep. Um, but I came back to one, this situation where the club had had a vote whether I was going to be captain or not. And apparently I won that vote by one vote out of the whole club. So it was we were pretty split. And then obviously I went into the season where 
you know, I had four or five guys who had been my captains or coach. And to be honest with you, like, I was probably one of the worst players in that side. Yeah. And I found that, you know, so difficult to captain guys that I, I thought so much of. And just the whole, like, we won. We had a fantastic side. Um, I think we might have finished second on the ladder and we we lost the semi-final. But there's the, there was days during that year where I didn't really want to play. I, I, you know, I knew people were talking about me. I knew I was trying to be strong and I was trying to still do it my way. But it was it was really hard. That it was really difficult, you know, because I idolised these guys and I I wanted them to idolise me. Yep. You know what I mean? I still wanted to be their mate. Um, I found it hard. But you know what? I I was completely committed to how I felt about the Trade Creek Club. And I was committed to what I wanted to do. And if, if for whatever reason, you know, someone had said, you're not the best person for the job, then no worries. I'd have still been a trainer Tuesday. Bust me ass, whether I was captain or not. Yep. But I actually thought that, you know, I, I could do it. And I thought, you know, that I was doing a good enough job. So, yeah, I got through that. Um, we lost the semi-final. All those guys left. And we were back the next year. Uh, David Squibb was the only old guy that kind of stayed on. We were back the next year with the young group and we win the, win the flag. Yeah. yeah. Nowhere. Yep. Just, so, yeah. Yep. So suffering that was probably the best thing that ever happened. And yep. like I, all them blokes, you know, they'd probably be surprised to hear this. They probably didn't realise that I felt like that at the time. But That was one thing I was going to ask you. Did you sort of open up to anyone or did you have anyone sort of mentor you through that time? Or Not really, no. Yeah. So you just sort of internalised. No, now I think about it, yeah, like not even really dad. I just thought I had to get through that. Yeah. 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 What do you think he would have said if you did talk to him? He probably would have said that I was doing a good job. Yeah. And he probably would have said, just get through it. I think, you know, he's always taught us above everything, to be honest. And I guess there were times where probably, you know, my strength, I wasn't afraid to have the difficult conversation. And, you know, and I, I would stand up to these guys and say, no, nah, I'm doing it my way. And then afterwards, you know, we could have a couple of beers, and I could explain, you know, this is what this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And you know, someone like Jarv was incredible. He was great. You know, he's just 100 percent behind you, and and fully positive. Yeah. Like it probably from the outside, wasn't as big a deal. That probably sums me up. There's a lot going on on the inside. <laughs> too many times. Well, they say the duck on the water, the, the feet underneath <laughs> yeah. you going 100 miles an hour, yeah. but you look nice and calm on the top. Yeah, that's spot on. <laughs> Um, and again, obviously, we'll, we'll jump to the premiership in a second, but um, just tell us about England just quickly because you've been back and forth a, a few times. So tell us about the difference over there and what did you learn, you know, I suppose, as a cricketer and, and, and as a man while you're over there. Like, what are some of the learnings that you took away from your travel and time? I, I realised how naive little the trade boy I was pretty quickly. Yep. Um, so I was 24 when I first went. And it's just, like, I'm pretty interested in history, like, full stop as well so yeah I was a bit of a nuffy for you know old architecture and so I, I, I ate it up I yep. love England I yep. love London yep. um, um, and just just quickly just how does it come about um, a player from La Trobe going over to England because so, I know it happens quite regularly yeah but... it's a great story a guy by the name of David Carroll was the first bloke so I think maybe Billy Fraser when he was president of La Trobe early 90s yep. perhaps so obviously 
we'd had a couple of overseas players from Scotland. Um, David Capel, who played for England, and obviously Alistair Storey. So we'd had a few guys come over. Uh, they were on the hunt for another guy. They got this young guy from Frimley called David Carroll, um, and he was only maybe 18 at the time. Maybe I was 15, so maybe it was about 94, 95-ish. Yeah. Uh, he ended. He played a bit of twos, um, bit of threes. So he he was the first link, and then Matthew Nicole Fu went yep. over. Yeah. And there was a couple of guys, uh, Charlie Ritchie, Dazza Lakeland, when he was playing at La Trobe, he went to to Frimley for a stint. Yeah. Um, so that's how how it happened for me. There'd been a few come back. Uh, obviously Neil Pretty had moved over. He's from Frimley also. Yep. David Carroll came back as a as an older guy and played a bit A grade cricket with us, which was fantastic. Yep. Um, so we, we few of them guys had come over and played. And I did the same, yeah. I'd, I'd bought a house and I broke up with a girlfriend at the time and I sold the house for double what I had, so I had money in the bank and I just said, well, that's it, yep. I'll go. And how much of it did you spend drinking beer All over in England? Yeah. <laughs> the whole lot. And I come back, <laughs> I left 80 kilos, I come back 98. Yep. And yeah, I spent a lot. That's what everyone says. Again, yep. going back to Bakes here, you know, we don't want to pump him up too much, <laughs> but he said that when he went over there, I think he, he went over there, he could put away maybe two or three pints of beer. By the time he come back, he could sink eight and it hardly even yeah. hardly even affect him. It's just, it's crazy. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's the culture. And it's awesome. Probably not real good for you long-term, but... <laughs> health-wise? Or? Yeah, yeah, health-wise. Yep. So it's a big drinking culture. Oh, it's, it's hard to explain. It's just, it's every day. And especially, you know, you're a bit of a novelty. You're the overseas. Everyone wants a, uh, you know, a piece of you. So yep. every day it's someone, oh, come on, mate. Footy's on tonight. We'll go around the pub. Yep. That's Monday night. Yep. That's 20 pints. Bloody hell. Tuesday night, same. Wednesday yep. night. Thursday night you go to cricket training and then you're at the club till Sunday. Mm. That's just how it was. Yep. <laughs> and what are, what are the people like? Like, what's the culture like over there? So just fantastic. Yep. Um Oh, I've never felt more loved anywhere, and I say that like I genuinely mean loved. They, you know, they were so good to me, um, and all of us. Just amazing people, amazing place, different, you know, different cricket wise. Like I, like I said, you know, I loved, I love cricket, and I'm a nuffy for everything cricket. And I loved it, like the old grounds that were 200 years old and they got a pub on the boundary. And like yep. I just ate that up. I yep. loved it so much. Yep. You know, every Saturday and Sunday, I'd be like, oh, we're... And they'd say, oh, you're going to love the... You'll love the ground we're playing at Sunday. Like it's 250 years old. Or yep. you just, oh. When I got there, it was <laughs> awesome. Like, yep. yeah. So I just, I really loved... We played some good cricket. I played against some good cricketers, but standard-wise, obviously, it wasn't anywhere near what we were playing here. So we did really well. Yeah. You know. It's enjoyable when you're scoring runs and taking wickets. Yep. Most games. Yep. <laughs> that what, helps too. And um, what would you say was sort of your, your key takeaways from your time over there? Like, what did you what did you learn that you've sort of taken forward in life? Just being kind to people. They, like, I just can't emphasize how good they were to me. Yep. And, you know, people that I come over to visit me or when I went back, you know, past I went back and stick man for a couple. Like, yeah, people just cared. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was married the first time, 50 people came over and we were all here. Yeah. And, you know, that, that time with them, with the Frimley guys, just meant so much. Like, yeah. I know somewhere in a parallel universe, I stayed and I'm still sitting there at that bar and I'm going to be there till I'm 80. Yep. Uh, that's the other thing. Like, there's such a, a 
community culture there at that cricket club. You know, I didn't... I found myself not going out on the town because it'd be 3am and there'd still be 50 people at the club. Yep. Like, and old boys that played, you know, 60 years ago. I mean, we're just sitting there talking cricket. Yep. Just the ins and outs and... Yeah. Yep. I, I loved that. Yeah. It's kind of the best thing you ever do, but it also ruins you because... I want to be there and I want to be here. Yep. And it's, you know, it's not just Melbourne. You can't get on a plane, unfortunately. It's a pretty big commitment to get there. Yep. Have you I, been back since you yeah, sort of yeah, stopped playing sports? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. A couple of times. Went back for Pritzi's wedding. Uh, 2017 must have been the last time I went back. Yep. For a fun field four weeks. Yep, I reckon. <laughs> not that you probably remember much of no, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> that was a good time. Yeah. So the um, the beloved premiership with Latrobe, mate. So sort of take us through that time, climbing the mountain. Um, yeah. So obviously coming off the back of that year before was difficult. Um, I guess we went into the season with no expectation. After that, found you know the blokes that had gone back and played twos were all of a sudden back in that side, and we were back just cruising really. Um, couple of older, you know. Squibby had been coach, had been captain. David was one for not really getting involved, you know, with the political side of things. He kind of went, and especially at that age, I think he was just at a point where he was willing to just rock up and do what he did. And I think that was fantastic. Yeah. I knew that I had an older guy there, but he really stood back and and, and let me feel like, you know, it was my thing. Yeah. And we got to a point where I think we had to win the... Like, again, this was whirlwind and strange, but we had to win the last game of the year, and we did. We beat Bernie Yeoman at La Trobe. And the other Squibby was untouchable. I don't know what happened there for eight weeks, but he just became the best cricketer on earth. <laughs> Every time I threw him the ball, he'd just get a wicket. Yep. Yeah, he, the man with the golden arm, we called him there, the, the ninth wonder of the world, the Maharaja. Yep. So we were just a bunch of kids riding on his coattails a little bit. So he rolled through Bernie Yeoman, I think, and we obviously had an arch rivalry with Devonport, um, which there's no love lost. I don't, I'm sure that's still mm. very much in existence. Yep. They hadn't lost a game all year. Uh, they they found themselves, I think they were at loggerheads with the council, something to do with the pitch. So they wanted to play their home semi-final at Olveston. So we finished fourth, scraped in. They were top of the ladder. We had to play them at Olveston. Now... Obviously, the start of every year is pretty wet. If you're playing at Olveston, you're going to get a game. Olveston's deck's always been fantastic, always dry. You know, start of the year when you're not, no one else gets a game, there's still a game at Olvey. So we rocked up to the semi-final and the pitch was the wettest, greenest thing Mm. I've ever seen. And their old curator was out there when I got out there and he must have just read my face. And he just put his hand on my shoulder and said, just win the toss, boy. <laughs> and I looked at him and he said, just win the toss. Mm. And I'd never won a fucking toss in my life. I won the toss. We bowled Devonport out for 80. Um, I think Squibby did most of the damage there too. And I think we may have been six for 60, but we ended up, yeah, I don't know, getting 350. Birdman got 100. Um, yeah. We just found ourselves where it's it's it sounds really corny, but... We just knew we were going to win. Yep. I don't know what happened. You know, and all them blokes in that side, we just knew that we were going to win that premiership. Yep. And we did. Yeah. Yep. And we, you know, we we set ourselves goals 
I think at that time we, we were probably the best fielding team I'd ever seen. We just did things for each other. And even that grand final, we batted 147 overs, we batted, I think, for 270. I just said, I just want to, well, I think we had one, we won for 50 after 50 overs, which is crazy. Mm. And Zane may have had 12. I think he batted 55 overs. But it set us up. And we just believed. We just believed. We get enough runs, we'll win. Yep. And there was ups and downs in that grand final. A couple, you know, we played a Bernie Yeoman side that were fantastic. But yeah, we got through that and we won. And it was just, you know, the best feeling that I've had. And I'll, I'll look back now and I was, you know, I was 25. Yeah, I felt a lot older than that. I felt like we'd been through a lot. Yep. It's kind of stupid to think that I played so much cricket after that. Mm. But we never got that. Yeah, we we never got that feeling back. And I know Zane spoke about it all the time, that actual feeling and how much that meant to him. We really felt like we'd achieved something. And the whole of the trade, it was a big deal. You know, we got back to the club and people were there already drinking. Mm. Like, you know, that next day... You know, the council put on a civic reception for us and Mackie's just filled the cup until it fell apart. Like, it was great. <laughs> it just felt so amazing. Yep. You know, and then, you know, like I said, I watched the footy club go through that several times after that. But for us, yeah, for me, that was, was so special. Yep. This episode of the pod would not be possible without the support of Sam and the team at Infinite Joinery and Design. If you're like me and normally need to get these guys to come in after you stuff up your latest home renovation, here's an idea. Get them in first and save the hassle. Specialising in new home joinery fit-outs, renovations, kitchens, laundries, wardrobes, vanities and solid timber work and project management, Infinite have 3D design software and Sam Malone has over 20 years experience in joinery and project management. Located at 6 Bay Drive, Coiba, come in and have a browse of their colour selection studio or you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Or you can contact Sam on 0429 291 008 or email sam at infinitejoineryanddesign.com. So don't be like me. Get the experts in first and save yourself some money and a fear stressing down from the better half. And you said that um, you went into that game, you know, knowing that, that you were going to win and feeling like, you, you know, you guys were, were not going to lose it. Um, one thing that Zane spoke about, and I wanted to ask you about it, he said that you got the players to all meet down the bluff before the game. Was that the morning of the game? Yeah. Yeah, and he said that he reckons the, the speech that you gave them and the talk that you gave them was um, a big part of that reason, giving them that, that belief. Was that something that was premeditated, or did you just... Obviously, the, the meeting was premeditated, but were you planning on giving them, like, a a speech, or was it just something that just came into your head? Or um, I think you knew them blokes... I didn't mind a speech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, I don't even know what that one was. I don't know. I was pretty like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I took, I just took it. I took it so seriously. Yeah. So I would have had undoubtedly, would have planned something. Yep. I think um he also spoke about which something that I wanted to mention to you um later on, but I don't know whether you put it in that one, but it's he said that something that he uses as well. This is Zane Littlejohn, obviously. Um, don't let don't confuse nerves with excitement. Now, I don't know whether you pulled that one out at the bluff, but he said that you have before. So where did that one come from? Is that something that you just... I don't know. I would have read it, undoubtedly. <laughs> like I said... You're I'm too just... modest, mate. You've got to I claim that. I'm a huge student of... Oh, I love to read things. I'm really... Oh, I love sport, and I'm... I like to know what make people tick. Yep. Like, I've got... I love an underdog story. I love, you know, when people are up against it. I love watching that side of 
human beings, I guess, not just sport. Yep. But you just see it so much in sport. Yep. You know, the really driven greats, you know, your Michael Jordan, the willingness to work. You know, I've always been a huge student of that, wanting to read and, oh, this is what makes him tick. And yep. So I would have just, I would have flogged off somewhere, for sure. <laughs> but <laughs> I, no, I think it was probably pretty relevant. Yeah. It is pretty relevant. Yeah, it did the job, though, by the sound of things. And like I said, he said that he still uses it now in, in certain things. But um, so with leadership itself, I just wanted to have a good chat to you about that because um, a couple of quotes that I want to um, read to you now. Again, I just went back through and listened to the podcast, particularly with Zane Littlejohn and also Trent Keep, who I know that you've had a pretty pretty big influence on as well. So just a couple of quotes from Zane for a start, um, talking about you, obviously. One of the best leaders I've ever met in my time in sport. Now, he's rubbed shoulders with a lot of people um, in his time. Obviously, Zane has just recently been named Box Hill Hawks um, VFL coach. So he's been around some pretty handy um, leaders and, and people in his time in sport. Um, Paul had an ability to understand every individual in that team and what made them perform at their absolute best. Every time you went out to play cricket under Paul Dixon, you felt like you had a hundred other people with you because you knew you weren't alone. And again, he also um, referenced that don't get nerves mixed up with excitement. Um, Trent as well said a lot of my leadership qualities I developed early on playing under him at La Trobe. So it's no accident that you've had this effect on these guys and as I say you know just going back to two high performance type guys there as well I know that um, Trent's also doing a bit of coaching himself now um, where did it come from is it something that it was just innate like it was something that was in you or like you say you're pretty well read and well learned do you think great leaders and you're not going to say you are but I am do you think they're are they born or are they actually made manufactured mm. I think they can be both I think you can manufacture. Oh, manufactures, yeah. Don't know. Do you think they've got to have some sort of spark 100%. for it to begin with? 100%. Yep. You have have you seen people put into leadership positions that aren't very good at it? They look like they probably should definitely. be, but... Yep. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. Because they don't have that stuff that's intangible, I suppose. Yeah. Yep. 100%, yes. And sometimes you don't know that until you try. And sometimes you do. Yeah. I don't know. Uh what I I was just I don't know I felt like I was 100% committed to the team and that's I think that was probably the endearing quality for me and I learned it through Har- like you know Grant Harris he was a terrible cricketer but I know that he would have stood in front of you know bullets and copped him for us Yep. and I felt that's the one thing that I felt I'm never going to ask you to do something that I'm not going to do yep and I'll put myself there first. Yep. And, you know, I, I see, you've seen the picture where they talk about management. I can, I've, I've experienced a lot of work. I've had, you know, some interesting times and jobs that I've left because of management basically being piss poor leaders. And I, I can't deal with that. Yep. You know, dishonesty. And there's a drawing, a picture that I saw where there's two types of managers or captains or leaders or coaches, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, you've got, the blokes dragging a, a um, an Egyptian cart, you know, the old... Yep. You've got the blokes standing on the cart, whipping the blokes. Yep. That's one form of leader. And then the next one, you've got the bloke, he's, he's at the front of the blokes. Yep. He's pulling on the ground, him. pulling with them. Yep. Uh, I respect that type of person. Yep. And that's really all I tried to be. You know, I, I'm not afraid, I wasn't afraid to admit when I did fuck up because I did 
you know, and I think people respected that too. Yeah. Like there at at the moment, you know, if I've chosen to bowl whoever, I'll explain that. And if it went wrong, and sometimes it did, like, yeah, right, I got that one wrong. Yeah. And that's the unforgiving part of being a captain. I played when I was in that Jamie Cox stuff when they used to have a combined. I, I made that side, and Scott Blair, who was captain of Alston, he captained that, and I learnt more just watching him in the three games that we played that I'd ever learnt. Not talking to him about it, but he was so sure of what he was doing. So he, he would stop the game and move you an inch. Yep. And he didn't have to explain whatever was going on in his head. You know, he was sure of what he was doing. And I looked at that and I thought, you know, that's that's what I need to be. Yep. I need to be that sure. If I make the mistake, I'll own it after that. But, back but in that moment, yeah. Yep. He had a plan and a process. I really took that on board and he had an aura around him that, you know, I am the captain. Yep. I love that. Yep. Uh, I took a lot out of that. Just yep. a little experience with him. Yep. Do you have to have a certain amount of aura? Like some people might call it a bit of arrogance, but do you have to have that sort of confidence about you as a captain? Hmm. Or as a leader in general? I think if you... There's nothing more exposed as a captain if you're unsure. Even if you're... Like I said, even if you're getting it wrong. Yep. At least have the conviction to follow through with what you're doing. Yep. So that sureness. Is it arrogance? I don't know. It's more of a... I've actually got a plan. This is what I'm trying to do. Yep. Whether we can execute it or not. Yep. But yeah, guys who are listening to everyone and a bit wishy-washy can come unstuck yep. pretty quick. Yep. So I think you need to have that. Yep. But, you know, as you get older. You know, and I went to Sprayton when I was 37 and had two years there. And the second year I captained. And I think I did a poor job. Yep. I think I captained terribly because I'd become unsure. Everything that I said, I, I was owning at Latrobe, you know. I felt like Latrobe was my club and that no matter what went wrong, I'd be there to, to stick it out. And I... I, that's how it was whereas you know that Sprayton year the the game had changed and the world sound like an old man again <laughs> the world changed people have changed you know one thing I was pretty hard on them at times at Latrobe and I probably there were times when we probably weren't great friends with some of the blacks yep you know they call Weeksy Captain Grumpy now Captain Grumpy too because, yeah, I was Captain Grumpy 1. Yep. And we had a lot of time. I had a lot of, you know, I would blast the boys and carry on a bit. And I had that resentment, like I said earlier, about, you know, guys choosing to play footy. and Especially after we won, because I wanted that feeling again. Yep. And I look back at it now, and I was a selfish wanker, to be honest. But it's how I was how I was, if that makes sense. Yep. I think it's probably what made me, because I owned it. I owned what I was doing. Yep. You know, and I was prepared to be there, you yeah. know, to see through whatever troubles we were having. Yeah. Whereas at that, you know, the Sprayton time, I probably wanted to tell a few blokes a couple of home truths. But I was 38. I wasn't going to be playing there the next year, and I became really unsure of, is it the right thing to do? Yep. You know, these blokes have been here a long time. It's their club. Um you know, I obviously gave everything I could every Saturday. I'm not saying that I wasn't invested in that, but yeah, in my heart, I guess I found that difficult. And I, in, in reflection, I think I captained poorly. Yep. 
yeah, yeah. because of that. Yeah. It's it's an interesting thing that you say about um you know having a few run-ins with with blokes and that sort of thing. It's the old adage, I suppose, being liked rather than being respected. Do you think as a leader you need to err more on the respected side and the liked side? It was hard because I you know I loved a beer and a carry on. Yep, that's the other thing I was going I was going to ask you. So how how much of that you find that a lot of people when they get into leadership, particularly if they've been mates and been one of the boys, they have to pull back from that a little bit because they feel they have to. Well, I didn't. Yep. Should I have, at times, possibly? I don't know. Is it what worked because I was likable? I'm not sure. Yeah, there was definitely time. There was periods where I stopped getting invited to the pub, which hurt me. You know, we might have had a bad day, and I might have told a couple of blacks, but we got through that. Yeah, I'm like, if I ever think about it. I'll always come back and clarify or apologise or so I, I, I wanna talk things through all yep. the time. Yep. And I think the blacks got that. And I think, you know, we had to have a couple of apologies and yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We probably probably is a strength that we were that close. Yep. And pissing on. When times were good, but yeah, it could put pressure on. Yeah. What do you think are the key pillars that makes a good leader? being honest yep absolutely not being like not asking the guys to do something that you wouldn't and I I think you've got to be on board you've got to be invested and people need to see that yep and I as a player I would follow people to the ends of the earth if I knew that if you're my captain and you're giving everything you've got well then I'm with you whether, you, whether you're on bat at 11 or you didn't bowl me. Like, I was really loyal in that regard. And I think that's how I tried to lead. And I, I guess it hurt when people weren't as loyal. Yep. I probably took that personally at times and sooked. Yeah. But like I said, it's what made me. It's hard. Your strengths are also your weaknesses. Yep. Maybe. It's interesting you say about that honesty. I've listened to a couple of um, interviews with Justin Langer and you would have heard a lot of his stuff as well. Is That's what he said, that um, being honest is kind, being dishonest is unkind. So honesty works. Yeah. I think he said Wayne Bennett said it to him as well, obviously the yeah, great yeah. NRL coach. He said honesty works. As long as you're honest with them in a leadership position, you know, you're never going to go wrong. I think you've got to be. Yeah. People like, I think people want to be valued in a team at work you all want people want and it's about picking your moments and picking your times but, and I think you know what Zane said What one thing that I was probably good at was I was able to pander those that I needed to yep and I knew that giving a rocket to some people would work yep yeah Scummer was my prime target of that I knew that I had two or three a year that I could give it to him <laughs> not every week but I just when I really needed him I just I'd call him out and he'd respond yeah and he did he always responded yep yeah he did and i think yeah again that's a good good um, part of leadership i was going to say to you as well how did you go about getting into the mines and getting to <clears throat> getting to know players i know a lot of them were your mates and you probably had a few beers with them and stuff but did you have a specific strategy or did you like say a new player came to the club for instance that you knew you were going to be captaining did you spend a bit of time with them or yeah. do a bit of research on them or not so much the research yeah yeah definitely the time yep yeah just getting to know it made them just, tick yeah really welcoming like I wanted them to know straight away that you know you're one of my boys and 
we're in this together. Yeah. Like I said, people need to be valued. Yeah. Just a couple of quick fire ones for you. What's the worst thing a leader can do? Hmm. It's a good one. Give up. <laughs> yep. Ah, oh, just... The worst thing a leader can do for me is to put themselves above whatever the organisation is or whatever, to put their own concerns and their own issues. And I've, I've seen it happen where it becomes about them I just I've lost straight away with that. Yep. Like so in sport and business you've yeah, seen that. Yep. 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 For sure. I think yeah, it's just probably not very well explained, but I know how I feel when I'm trying to explain that. Yep. Yeah. So you mean like an ego type thing or Yeah, or like when shit hits the skids to hang on a minute, just distance himself. Oh I want you to be in there with me. Yep. Yep. If we go and down we're all so going much. down together. Yeah. Yeah. I respect that bloke that puts himself at the front of the trolley. Yep. And I, yeah, Alan Border would have put himself at the front of the trolley. Yep. Wouldn't he? Absolutely. He was there, pulling <laughs> it. Yep. And you look at that and that's, yeah. And and I think really studying cricket then, and we were lucky to see all those great captains of Australian cricket, slightly different, but they all had that hardness. And I think I tried, not that I was ever any of that, but I, that's what I was trying to be. I was trying to be on border, I think. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. As a lot of us were back, <laughs> yeah, in, I think, back yeah. in the day. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But he sort of shaped those leaders that came after him, didn't he? he? Did, especially Steve in that Warren. Australian team. Like even punter, super talented, but he was still that hard-nosed. Yeah. Probably more, wasn't he? Yep. And and respected too. I remember, um, I can't remember when, when they'd do it or whatever. Or must have, Actually, it must have been the first session how they'd all come out with a baggy green on. I remember warning one time, must have come out with his floppy hat on or something. And um, I think Punter must have just given him a look and he went back and got his baggy green. Yeah. They said there's not many people that would make yeah. Warney do that because yeah. he used to march to the beat of his own drum. I bet he had a few hard conversations. I reckon. Punter. Must have done the trick. Yeah. Um, last one on leadership. Who's the best leader you've seen and why? I should have had a real good think about this. <laughs> Look, no, it's not. It's it's undoubtable. Like, I talk about Harry, and I really think... It's strange, because tactically, you know, he wasn't very good. But I just felt like he would have died for us. And I really got that notion. And I think it's like... One of my sporting highlights, I got to play in Brett Jaffray's 200th senior game. Yep. And that, he was the same. Like, when you're around them guys, you just know they're going to give everything. Yep. And, and I didn't want to let them down. And it's funny you talk about Brett Jaffray. He never actually had the leadership tag, did he? No. But he didn't have to. He was just, yeah. Mm, one of those heart and soul. Oh, there's an aura films. around him. Yep. Like, it was a privilege to play anything with him. It was great. Yep. Maybe I've got the wrong brother on the podcast. <laughs> you, you might Wayne won't be listening. Sorry, Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to hear Brett's. It'd be a good one. He'd be just bagging out his brother. Yeah, he would. He'd spend most, He'd of, his, of, most of his time doing that. Um, can we step away from cricket a little bit and talk about stuff behind the scenes? Absolutely. So talk to me about um, personal life and relationships and stuff. You've been through um, a separation, which sort of knocked you about a little bit. Can you sort of take us briefly through that time and tell us what you're comfortable telling us? Yeah, so I was about 30. Um, yep. For me, like in hindsight, it's you look back and reflect and kind of understand what was happening. 
But it, it took me a long time to actually get to a point where I did understand what happened. Um, it came as a surprise and a shock, and I just didn't I I didn't deal with it well. And I look back now and I like yeah, I think fuck. I should have just got over it. Yep. But so you say you didn't deal with it well. How did you deal with it? Oh, probably. I talked to a few people, but how I dealt with it was I just, I don't know, internally acted like it was the end of the world and that I didn't give a fuck anymore. So I drank so much. Just write yourself off all the time. And I I didn't really care. I just thought, oh, well, if there's a party, I was there. Like, and I look back at it now, and I was, I was early 30s. Like, I wasn't 19 or 20. Like, a, yeah just a huge denial as far as it's like I checked out of being a fucking adult yep a little bit yep yeah just went off the rails a bit yeah like I still were I didn't you know I didn't hugely let people down but I just yeah internally just was like oh well doesn't matter I don't care anymore what ifs yep like and just drank too much just yeah yeah so like I just handled it poorly I can't really explain what I would have done and I guess that's the thing. You just, I don't know, you don't know what you're doing. Do you? mm. Yeah, you're just sort of going Stuff through that, that time and, and dealing with it. People, you know, people speak to you and you just, everyone's got an opinion and an advice. And yeah, I, I didn't know what to do. It, it was, yeah, it was no good. So like, you were sort of drinking to sort of numb the pain? Absolutely, a bit? just yep. forget. Like, yep. yeah. Yeah. And not, not so much during the week, but just every opportunity. And I think, you know, it's something that unfortunately, it's an issue that I've now stuck with. Like, I've got a bit of a binge drinking issue when I can't just have five or six stubbies. Yep. And I think it stemmed from then where I just drink till I passed out. Yep. Because I was happy to pass out. Yep. And now, yeah, I'm obviously still, I don't drink much anymore. Yep. Our life's changed but when i do i'm still you know i want more 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 yeah 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 i recognize that that's no good and i recognize you know i think about all the time we've all got so many funny stories about me you know falling asleep like it's it's embarrassing yeah <laughs> yeah and, and it must have been at the time to for other people to see you know that i wasn't coping very well yeah and that yeah that probably extended i think i developed habits that have stayed which aren't great. Yeah. But, like I said, I'm taking a step towards at least acknowledging that. And I think that's a big part of it is, is acknowledging it. And it would probably be different if you felt like you needed it all the time. So you're obviously, you know, and I know we'll talk about your, your family now in a second, but you're, also, you're obviously content and, and happy enough in life that you feel like you don't need to be doing that and writing yourself off. Like, I, I know, you know, everyone's guilty of having one or two too many on a weekend from time to time and that sort of thing. But it, the key to managing it, like you say, is not doing it all the time isn't it just you know you might still have a one or two big nights a year or something like that but yeah it's more if you if you can't help yourself if you're doing it all the time i was just finding any reason to drink yep for probably eight years yep <laughs> yep yep and that's yeah that's that's the truth yes yeah did you yep. talk to anyone through that time like <sighs> deeply sort of open up to anyone what about your dad was he sort of getting yeah, around no, you? not really like I think he had I think they've loved to see the change in me yep but from all you know I speak to him he was a, like and it's 
I've not seen him drink, but he was a little bit similar. Yep. You know, and he said, he always said, one day you'll wake up and you'll be out of it. And perhaps he's right. Perhaps that day did happen. Yep. Can you remember when it happened or why it happened? Oh, not really. I guess, you know, life just took changes. You know, obviously meeting Grace and my life started to change. And I just started to be interested in other things. Yep. Almost like in normal things. (laughs) It just took me a long time to, you know, people probably get to their late 20s and have that grow up stage. Yep. It just took me 10 years extra. Yep. And you know, like I speak about, you know, I probably sound like I'm regretting, but it is what it is. It's not, yeah, our journey's different and whatever has got me here has got me here. How scary is it in this day and age how much we rely on modern technology? It's not till your phone dies or the Wi-Fi or power goes off that you realise you'd be lost without it. Well, recently my phone decided in its old age to die and stop charging, and on a weekend no less. So what do you do? Rather than waiting to speak to the network providers or retail outlets, which can be painful within itself, give Brad or Katie a call at Greenies Apple Repairs. That's what I did, and they had my old phone as good as new in hours. Greenies take care of iPhones, iPods, iPads and pretty much everything else and they won't cost you an arm and a leg. So next time you're stuck back in the dark ages with no technology, contact Greenies Apple Repairs on 0401 229 220 or you can contact them at www.greeniesrepairs.com.au or find them on Facebook. Now just to get onto this busted screen. Just the last thing on that time, how... How low did you get? Like you said, you became or you got very close to, to giving up. What does that mean in your words? Oh, look, I'm emotionally a hugely melodramatic person. Yep. And, yeah, it's, it can be very woe as me internally, for sure. Um, look, oh, there was definitely a point where, you know, there was a point where I strongly considered, you know, taking my own life. Um, now was that just a melodrama I don't know but I was just tired like I'm a huge thinker and I was tired of thinking yep the never ending questions and I just couldn't get the answers that I needed for yep. myself do you remember what sort of questions you were asking oh I don't know like just why what's going what, what's going on yeah. it's like it, I knew that my life had fallen apart without really knowing why and I guess in hindsight well, it doesn't fucking matter why like whatever's happened's happened yep gotta deal with it I, yeah I could go back to that person and just say just get on with it yep it, it took me a long time to just get on with it yep. internally yep yeah from the outside I don't know how I looked I probably seemed okay to yep. people but yeah there, it's just it's an over we're classic overthinkers and Trent would have said the same thing it's a bit of a Dixon thing yep you know if I talk to my sister we are overthinkers, and that was. I, I'm big on being able to talk things out. And that time, I just, like I said to you, I could not get the answers that I needed, and that was tough yeah. for me internally. Yeah. And I, yeah. Definitely had a point where I was tired of feeling how I felt. Yeah. There was a night where I was, you know, I went down to me work bus, and I, I had a rope, and that's probably as far as I got. I'd picked out, you know, I just thought about it. Like maybe, like I said to you, it's me being melodramatic. Maybe I knew one day I was going to sit down on a podcast and be able to talk about it. <laughs> I don't, was I ever going to do it? I Probably not. I don't know. 
you know, I thought, and I thought about Dad in that moment. I honestly thought, you know, he's going to have to come to the hill and find me. And I, that was what, was I ever going to do it? Probably not, but yep. that was, yeah. Yep, you loved him enough to sort of not, away. <laughs> not put him through that sort of yeah, situation. Yeah, and that's, yeah. It was, it was tough, but, yeah. I'm, I'm so fucking thankful. Yeah. Live so much amazing life and continue to. And, I'm you know, I feel upwards. really sad for people who don't get through that tough situation because we all have been there. Yeah. And you look back and just think, God, like, what a fucking waste that would have been. Mm. Like you said, you, your family um, sort of had a little bit of a history of, um, I don't know whether you'd call it mental health, but you said that you, you guys quite often talk about the Dixon sadness. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Oh, well, I think it is just that, yeah, there's a definitely a quietness and a woe is me. I don't know, probably is it mental health? Uh, undoubtedly. Yep. Is it, you know, what is it exactly? I'm not sure. I've always had a tendency to be sad internally. Yep. And you know, I think most humans, if they're honest, are probably like that. Mm. Yeah. It's rare. And they're blessings to the people that are the opposite. Yep. But yeah. But I'm, I'm understanding that better too as I get older. Yep. Yeah. Trying that... to not be such a sin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, I think, yeah, I think it's right what you say. I think everyone's got that certain part of it. And I think humans by nature, we're, we're programmed to to protect ourselves and worry about the worst case scenario and that sort of thing. So we probably spend more time sitting in that chair rather than the, this is fantastic and everything's going to be great, 100%. great chair. So I think, and it's a bit of a balancing act. Like you look at the people that, that are out there that you think, I, ta- I take Robin Williams as a classic example. Mm. Like you look at him, you'd think you would have thought he was the happiest man on earth, yeah. but he was sad. Like he still had that sadness in him. Whereas then there's other people who will acknowledge that they're sad, but it's okay, I'm dealing with it. So yeah. I think everyone's got that little bit of, um, you know, that sadness or that anxiety or worry that they're working through, but it's just a matter of some are managing it better than others on the journey. And I think, you know, I probably sound negative saying about how the world's changed, but a positive is that people can and feel comfortable and there's so many spaces now that you can talk about it. Yeah. And you're not, like, it's it's quite common, isn't it? Mm. Everyone's got their issues. Yep. Everyone's got a cross to bear and people are wanting to and prepared to talk about it it's not hard to find someone who's going through a similar thing to you yep and that's a huge positive that's fucking fantastic absolutely and again you know being self-indulgent that's one of the reasons why i started this because i wanted to get people in our community that people know that they say well hang on i didn't know that they'd been through that or yeah you know and they can relate to that and i feel that way sometimes too or maybe i might try something that they said on that podcast so that's the hope anyway hopefully people are listening to it corny but like trent if you help one person if all this, if anything, helps one person, well, yep. it's successful, isn't it? Yep. It's worthwhile. Yeah. A great quote that he said on there is that it doesn't take anything for one candle to light another candle. Yeah, true. I love that one. I thought that was awesome. So onwards and upwards, mate. So the new family. Yeah. And Bobby. Tell me about Bobby. The big Bobster. <laughs> yeah, so obviously, yeah, met Grace and Grace had three kids. Yep. So I was, yeah, 37, 38. Instant dad. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Stepdad. Yep. So that, which, you know it's been difficult and you know different but it did get me thinking you know should i you know through, so through that time through that time where i was like you know i just said oh, i'm not having kids you know my cue was in the rack i'm just doing whatever i'm doing so i'd kind of bottled that but yeah we we got talking and grace said you know you'll probably regret 
not having your own child. So we did. And then we've, the big fellas arrived and like... How just, old is he now? So he'd be three in February. Yep, beautiful. So yeah, and just what it's done for my family, for me and my sister and, you know, mum and dad. He's it's just he's lifted everyone. He's he's awesome. Yep. And it's been great to see different sides of them and I guess they've seen a different side of me. Yeah, so yeah, that's that's fantastic. Yep. How's he changed your life, would you say? Like what's the main way? Like all the cliches and shit that people say. A lot of it's true though. Oh, it's just how you feel. <laughs> yeah. And you find yourself saying it. Yep. And you go to work and I'm talking about my kid and I'm I'll be like I think to myself, fuck. Used to hate it when people would turn up and talk about their kids, and I'd just be sitting there thinking, "Shut up!" Yeah. Yep. <laughs> now I'm that guy. Yeah. Oh, you did this. You just... Yeah. So it's all the cliches. You know, you're thinking, hey, being dramatic as I am, you've got a purpose. Yep. You know, I've actually got a living purpose. Yep. To to get him through, to get him to a point where he can make his own decisions and mistakes, yep. and yeah. Yep. Half so, half the battles, um, making the call on when that time is that you can just let him go. Yeah. <laughs> Some, yeah. are, some it's 30, some it's 18. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. I've got a few years. Yeah. <laughs> um, what kind of father are you? Mm, pretty casual. Yeah. <laughs> Grace yep. is going to hear. Sorry, Grace. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I want to be fun. Yep. I, I just want to be fun. That's, yep, that's that's where I'm at with it. Yep. How do you go with having the, being the, um, the tough dad, though? No, no good. No good. No. Leave that to Grace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's gonna test me. Yep. Yes, I've definitely failed as a stepfather in that regard. <laughs> definitely. You're always a good cop. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. Tell yeah, me. I don't know about that. I don't know. That's that's. We'll see how that pans out. Yep. But yeah, I'm I'm definitely gonna be good cop. I would think. Yep. Yep. Um, this is one I didn't prepare you for, but just tell me about being a step parent. Um, my wife's a step parent, and I know that you know she. There's certain parts of it that are absolutely fantastic, where there's certain parts of it that she really struggles with, and it's not something that I understand because I've never been in that situation. But can you tell us what what it is like, and what are some of the internal battles you have as a step yeah, parent? It's, it's incredibly difficult. Um, it's it's difficult to know what your role is, and that's. I don't think I have any grasp on that still. Yep. And, and I've ended up, you know, you end up at a point where you're not quite necessarily sure, you know, what you are. You know, they've got, you know, the kids have got their dad. You know, he's a great dad and I'm not trying to be their dad. And you just end up, I'm not quite sure. I guess all I really want for them is to know that if they need me in whatever capacity... You know, I'm here. And I guess as they get older, potentially, you know, it could be easier. I'm not quite sure what I'll be for them, but hopefully they realise that if they need help, if they don't, that's fine, but that I am here. Yeah. You know, and hopefully, hopefully I think I'm doing that. Yeah. But yeah, it's not easy. For some people, it might be, but yeah, for me, it hasn't been. Mm. It's not just, something you can just effort, effortlessly sort of insert yourself into, no, can you? It's, it's a just bit establishing of a that. Yeah, not quite sure what you are in the relationship. Yeah, and I guess that's for them too, you know. And that there's a lot of stuff that happens, isn't there, around you know the separation and bro, and it's just it's probably not a fantastic situation. Yeah, 
at times, but yeah. I think we're okay. Yeah, I think we're going okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're still ticking along, yeah, mate. Yeah. That's the main thing. Yeah, that's a work in progress. That's, <laughs> but yeah, no, they're good. They're, yeah, yeah. I find myself I worry about them a lot, which is natural. So yeah, like I said, I think if they could just understand that in whatever capacity, you know, I am here. You're there for them. Also, yeah. Um, last one on parenting, um, and back to Bobby. What what do you hope for Bobby and for Bobby's future? Yeah, so I've, I don't know whether I mentioned it, but Bobby was diagnosed type one um, diabetic yep. in uh, July. Yep. So that's Pretty another big thing to take on. Yeah, that's been another change, um, a dramatic, drastic change. Does it change what I want for him? No. Um, it, not only for Bobby, but for all the kids. I just want. I want to get them to a point where, like I said to you, they're they're able to get to a position where you can live your life, make your own mistakes, make your own family, make your own joy, but get them to a point where they're there. Yep. They've had what they need, hopefully, to start. Yeah. So it probably sounds corny, but that's what I hope for him. You just want him to be happy. You want him just to be happy yep. and to be okay. Um, the diabetes side of things has been difficult on us, but he's great. He's, you know, we got our happy little fun boy back yep. since, you know, since his treatment, started treatment. So, yeah, I think, you know, the great advantage, it's quite rare for kids that young to be diagnosed. The great advantage he'll have is that it will just be stock standard part of his life now. Yep. And by the time he's old enough to manage himself, he won't know any different. Yep. So that, that's you know, that's going to be a positive for him. Yep, it's not going to yep. be a big shock to his system when he's no, like twenty five. No, I think it's quite often like for you know teenage kids to get it. That's yeah. So yep. he's he's got it early. Yeah, yeah. Um, last question I've got for you, mate. Um, what's your philosophy on life? And that's quite a deep one. Just um looking at you and and watching you over the years and and that sort of thing i've always um admired the fact that you've always marched to the beat of your own drum as well like you there's a famous video of you playing basketball with your socks pulled up and these goggles <laughs> yeah, on and all God. this sort of stuff and i don't know whether uh, that was taking the piss or whether you just felt yeah, like it that day but know, that's me, yeah. just like i've always loved you know that you'd you'd be wandering around wearing nfl jerseys or nba jerseys or whatever and that's you like you've always been yourself so that's something that i've always admired about you and i'm always drawn to people like that who are authentic so i was quite interested to know um what your philosophy is on life and what sort of life that you try to live hmm. that's big question i don't think of myself like that that's funny dressing isn't up it and, interesting what yeah. other people's perspective is yeah, on yeah. you sometimes 100 and again just listening it's to so you true. today I, yeah you probably haven't always felt that way but no that's how you've betrayed oh, yourself probably an annoying I think I'm a bit of a contradiction I'm half really serious <laughs> you're an enigma and then half yeah pretty loose <laughs> I don't know that's yeah I don't know about that yep um okay philosophy in life there's there's lots of things I've got things of Winston Churchill and stuff in my head I'm thinking of like lots of quotes and, yep yeah I don't know just I try to be really I just look at dad you know He's honest. He's real good to people. I, I'm i not quite like Dad when it comes to, you know, he always sees the good in everyone. Uh, I respect that so much. 
Yeah. And I think if we all were like that, like, what a nicer world it would be. Mm. So I guess I'm trying, I'm not like that, but I'm trying to be like that. Yeah. I'm trying to, I try to see the best in people and I try not to judge. I try to be respectful. Yeah. I, there's a lack of respect in some people that disappoints me. I just think you should be respectful of. And especially like with my sport, I always said, if you've done something that I haven't, then I should respect that. Yep. You might bat like shit, but if you scored 200 one day and I didn't, well then you've done that mm. and I haven't. Yeah. So I should respect that. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know, there's a bit of a changing of the guard where people stopped thinking like that. And I'm glad I don't. I think that's something that I've taken through, you know, the rest of my life too. Mm. Try to respect people. Try to try to be honest. Just try to, yeah. Don't be afraid to admit to your mistakes. And they're continuous. Yep. They are. They are completely continuous mm. for me. Anyway, we're all going to keep making <laughs> yeah. it, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Did that answer it? No, that was fine, mate. We'll what, I saw something yesterday. It was Justin Langer speaking. He was talking. Oh God! What Kerry Packer must have said. They must have asked him the best bit of advice he ever said, he ever got. And Kerry Packer said to him, um, "If you know who you are, and your mates know who you are, everyone else can go and get fucked." Yeah, <laughs> I've heard that one. And I thought that's probably fair. Yeah. Oh, but for me, the problem is I don't know who I am. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably everyone. A lot of people's problems. Yeah, struggling to answer that question because I think that's about. I'm not quite sure still what I am, yeah. but I've found things that I know that I want to hang on to. Yeah, I guess that's yeah part of it. Yeah, with obviously Bobby the top of that yep. list. I think um, it's an interesting point you make too, though, that I think a lot of people do go through life like searching or trying to find the meaning of life or their purpose in life rather than just being if that makes sense like again coming back to um my perception of you as opposed to your perception internally like you might not have found your purpose in your own mind or you might not have found you you know your own meaning of life or found out who you are but that to other people they probably know exactly who you are does that make sense like yeah. you because you you're living your life and you you're being so I think a lot of the time people put a lot of pressure on themselves that they've got to have this big epiphany and this big defining moment. 100%. Whereas, you know, again, you look back at when you were 30 and you were fucking up and you're on the piss all the time and all that sort of stuff. Well, when you're 50, you might look back now at your time as being a father and saying, yep, I had it all together. I just didn't realise it at the time. And maybe I've never, maybe we'll never realise it. Yeah. Maybe you're not. Yep. Yeah. Keeps us on our toes. Well, <laughs> we're still here. We'll finish up on that, mate. You say we're still here, and I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that you're actually here sitting in here, and we haven't melted too much in the heat. (laughs) Like I said, I know that you were apprehensive coming in, mate, and I can honestly say I know that a lot of people are going to get so much out of that chat and a lot of um, lessons and a lot of learnings out of it. Um, So, yeah, I can only thank you so much for coming in, mate, and and for being so honest. Thank you, mate. Thanks for for having me. Yeah, worries, mate. You got more out of me than what I thought you would. Well done. (laughs) Yeah. Good on you, mate. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thank you.
Thanks, Dicko, for coming on, mate. Um, yeah, like I said, I got so much out of that. Um, you know, he's just spoken about in such glowing terms by a lot of people, so it was really interesting to to find out what makes him tick, um, you know, from a leadership perspective and, um, you know, also his philosophies on, on life and, um, you know, just a really self-aware sort of fella too and it was, um, yeah, just really good to, to have a chat to him about how he's... Um, negotiated his journey so far and uh, and how, how he's going to negotiate his journey moving forward um, including fatherhood so I love Dicko's message um, basically reflecting on his dad you know just about being a good person and treating everyone um, equally and with respect so hopefully we can all take a little bit of that moving forward um, yeah she's a funny old world at the moment so if we can all do our bit it's um, going to make things a lot easier not only for ourselves but um, also for others as well. For anyone out there having their own struggles who wants to have a chat to someone, you can call Lifeline on 131114, Men's Line Australia on 1300 789978, or you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636.